You're listening to the Gator Sports Podcast with your host, Zach Alboverde. Coming in hot. And Graham Hall. Jumping. Coming smooth. Jumping. And the bass gets jumping. Brought to you by the Gainesville Sun and Gatorsports.com. Welcome to another Gator Sports Podcast presented by the Gainesville Sun. I'm your host, Zach Alboverde, joined to my right by my co-host, Graham Hall, back in the Gainesville Sun studios. We are one week through fall training camp, and we've got a lot to recap as the Gators are back on the practice field. We've heard from them at Media Day and now several Zoom calls. There's some news that came from Dan Mullen's press conference on Thursday, so we will recap all that and more on today's episode. Graham, how are you doing, my friend? Good being here. You know, I, we always say there's always something happening in Gainesville, but this is what a lot of people wait all year for, college football season. Don't plan any weddings. Don't schedule nothing on Saturdays. It is coming, and we're finally here to talk about it. Now, we got some bad news, unfortunately, to talk about on today's episode. But first, let's get into the good news, and that's the fact that fall training camp and football is back. And the Gators are now one week in. We've seen them back on the practice field. We've watched some IG lives. Haven't been out to any open practices, but you just know that it's back. You get the feel once again of having press conferences and watching these videos and photos come out of practice. What has just been your overall impression of the team through the first week? Some of the feedback that we've gotten from the players and coaches. Well, first I got to ask, have you watched any of those IG live clips? I've tuned in. Okay. I really got to I got to give a shout out to Lee Davis because she really has upped her game when it comes to live streaming these things because now she is muting the audio so you don't hear the snap count on IG Live. I've already said before that NCAA is so conspiratorial, but to learn to mute the audio so no one can pick up on the snap count out there, that is just elite. You know, I'm sure that coaches, when they were thinking about this, filming their practices, they were like, how can we do this so that no one knows information that can actually help them and being able to mute audio in real time so no one else hears is pretty crazy elite editing elite absolutely elite so that lets the fans participate see a little bit of a behind the scenes view i mean i remember when we would only get 20 minutes of fall camp and it was just you know stretching so we could see who was available about you know three periods of drills you didn't really pick up on anything now we got to see i think a good 45 minutes Mm -hmm. of stuff that was actually pretty relevant where you could pick up on some things and we came away with some real impressions which i wasn't expecting honestly to get as much as we got out of those so shout out to them for doing that over the weekend yeah we've seen some guys make plays and in some players working at certain positions and you kind of get a feel for how some of those position battles are shaking out Uh, and we'll talk about that throughout the episode but Uh, One thing, obviously, that we didn't see, fortunately, on Instagram is the injury that happened to Jaden Hill. And you wouldn't have seen it because it was during a non-contact situation where they wouldn't have been going live. And those are the worst way that you see a guy get hurt. And it's just unfortunate that he has uh, tore his ACL. He's going to miss the 2021 season, as uh, Dan Mullen announced on Thursday. And unfortunately, if there's any silver lining in this, it's that it didn't, he did not tear the same knee that he did in high school. It is his left knee and not his right one. So he's 
obviously already been through this process before. That is something that Mullen and his father talked to me about. You can go to Gatorsports.com and read that interview with Freddie Ingram where he discusses his reaction and Jaden's reaction to this injury, and more importantly, his mindset and how he's kind of feeling like he can bounce back from this. And he's already kind of flipped the switch and kind of turned his mindset to this is what I have to do now to recover. And as many fans will remember, when he tore his ACL in high school, eight days removed from his Florida commitment. And the coaching staff, like you would expect them to do the right thing, stuck by him and allowed him to obviously recover from that and turn into the player that he's become and was looking to be a full-time starter in 2021. Now is not going to get that opportunity, and we'll talk about some of the guys that have to step up later, but this is just, as Dan Mullen said, a, a massive disappointment for Hill and this defense. It's a huge blow, you know, first and foremost for Hill, who, you know, you talk about silver linings. I think another one is that he has worked back from this before. He knows what it takes, and he's going to attack his rehab, but knowing the position that he was in before but yeah that's the other side of it how devastating that is because we had a chance to talk to him on media day he met with the media and discussed the opportunity ahead if you remember we recapped it at sec media days dan mullen was asked about Jaden hill and said that he was in position to start opposite of kair elam in the secondary for florida and he was asked about that i asked him if he knew that he was going into camp competing for a starting role and he said that he was ready to attack that so for this to happen just several days later extremely devastating for the young man your heart and your thoughts got to go out to him um because what a blow for a unit that if anything we just talked about this had so much to prove on this florida team and to have a guy that was in line to start go down especially this early in camp uh that's horrible news for obviously hill and for the florida program and he was a guy that started five games last year and kind of got his opportunity because of those struggles in the secondary and when he got his number called kind of stepped in and and made the most of his opportunity so this year you're looking at him starting opposite Kyer Elam. You got two true juniors there that you feel good about and, and also some uh, experience at the safety position in Trey Dean. So uh, despite losing four guys from last year's unit, you still had enough that you felt good in, in terms of the returners, and Hill was part of that. So now you got to turn some to some new names and new faces here, and you know I, I think – in hindsight, the, the the best thing that could have happened to this Florida secondary was for them to add not one, not two, but three, it's looking like, potentially transfers to their secondary unit because Dewan Black, it looks like, is uh, running with the DBs and doing some DB drills and, and could be settling into potentially a star or safety. He's also working at linebacker. But specifically at corner, you brought in two guys, one who has still not joined the team yet, but now they're there as upperclassmen to compete with some of these young players that the Gators have at the position. We'll go through them all, but first of all, let's talk about the news of Elijah Blades. He uh, announced since our last podcast that he's officially transferring to Florida, expected to join the team any day now. And I would say just uh, temper your expectations just a little bit for his arrival because he has missed, obviously, the entire offseason and now the start of fall camp, the first week. So there's going to be some other guys that have a head start. You're going to see him play in 2021 for the Gators, but he may not be the one that starts right away opposite Elam, but nonetheless, a very important addition. 
first we got to, I say, recap the journey of Elijah Blades yes. to Gainesville. I mean, committed back on June 22nd, 2016, eventually flipped, but had to go the JUCO route for two years, proved his worth once again, signed with Texas A&M, had a really good 2019 season where he played in seven games, had 19 tackles, had a sack and a half. He, he looked really, really good. But then he was one of many players who chose to opt out of the 2020 season. Now he's a graduate transfer, just has one class left here. So one season with the Gators. This was kind of something we had to tiptoe around really recently as well, because even when we talked to Hill, we talked to Dan Mullen, you can't necessarily talk about a guy like Blades whose arrival is is imminent, but is yet to actually join the program. It was an elephant in the room. It kind of was an elephant in the room. So even though Jaden Hill was seen as the starter, you knew that competition was coming in here who had SEC experience and he was going to have to compete for that job all over again. So with Blades, you're getting a guy who potentially, once he gets on campus, can step in. That's a huge addition for a secondary. What great timing, obviously. And then with the other one that they have already in the building, you know, great for Florida again, transfer portal you, you know, I, shout out to Dan Mullen for what he's done in the transfer portal because time and time again, he's identified needs for this team and, and gone out there in the transfer portal and filled them. Yeah, you look at Jadarius Perkins coming over from Missouri and a top five junior college recruit along with Elijah Blade. So that's two guys at that corner position that were really highly regarded coming out of junior college, as was, of course, Dewan Black, the nation's number one uh, JUCO recruit. But you look at Perkins, I mean, that's two guys now that uh, give you some experience and obviously depth at that corner position that you would not have had if you didn't have that those portal additions. So they, in hindsight, are really key now as you go into the season because without them, you would be relying on a bunch of young, unproven players at corner. And I think that there's a lot of talent there, but we'll see how it shakes out between Avery Helm and Ethan Pouncey and then some of the freshmen, Jason Marshall Jr. and Jordan Young. I, I think that Marshall, the five-star freshman, is a guy to watch out for as potentially someone that could uh, contend for that starting spot opposite Elam. And I think... Potentially, he could have been a guy that would have played behind Elam this year, got a lot of reps, but maybe learned and and, and played second team, and now he's got a shot to start opposite him. So we'll see how it shakes out in camp. I think between him, Helm, and the transfers, those four, I think, are are probably going to end up being one of your starters day one. I agree with that as well. I I think that you're going to have one of those guys end up winning the battle, but this may be... A situation where, unlike last year, you are going to have, I think, more depth down the roster at that position. People, I think, forget that Ethan Pouncey missed the entirety of last season after injuring his knee, and he was a top 10 cornerback signee for the Gators, really highly regarded. If they can get a lot out of him, if he can start living up to his potential makeup for that lost season, that could be a huge contributor for that unit as well. And then Jordan Young, you know, you never know too much of what you're going to get out of a freshman, but Florida has time and time again put freshmen in the secondary in position to succeed. You saw it not at cornerback last year, but at the safety position with Rashad Torrance. So I do think that you're going to see a guy like Jordan Young get valuable minutes 
on the field. And as well, you know, it's kind of when you talk about freshmen right now, it's not really in my opinion anymore if they're going to play. If they're not going to play, I think something's a little bit wrong, whether they're late to arrive here or their development's not where it needs to be. With that four-game redshirt rule, every freshman should be playing at some point in the season as much as possible, especially with the transfer portal. That's a huge incentive to get guys on the field. So I think you're going to see a lot of these young corners, but it's going to be interesting to see how it all shakes out. The depth chart, people love using that term there. You know, Florida loves saying, oh, we don't really have a depth chart, but I think they're going to end up using, you know, all six of these corners. Uh, consistently this season and, and rotate them to keep them all fresh. When we come back from this first break, Graham and I will give our predictions, at least early on, on who we think will actually be that starter opposite Elam. We're also going to give our predictions on how we think this offensive line could shake out with the starting five after we learn some news about the developments at one of those positions from Dan Mullen's press conference on Thursday. We'll be right back after this break. Welcome back into the Gator Sports Pod. Zach and Graham here, and obviously talking about the secondary and the impact of Jaden Hill's injury in the last segment. Dan Mullen on Thursday discussing who he's going to look to to step up now with him sidelined. And as Graham Hall mentioned right before we went to break, it's a bunch of guys, and they're going to rotate several. So regardless of who ends up trotting out there against Florida Atlantic for that first series, you're going to see a lot of faces get an opportunity. But here's what Mullen said. There'll be a bunch of guys. You're still in training camp. There's going to be a lot of opportunities for guys coming in. We have Jadarius Perkins. He's going to have an opportunity. Avery Helm, who I think is going to be extremely talented, might just have accelerated his career to get him on the field. Ethan Pouncey, coming off the surgery, is really kind of getting back to the player we thought he could be. There's going to be some of those young guys that might just get a little bit more opportunity than they were expecting at this point. So that's kind of his thoughts on where things stand right now. I kind of alluded to in the last segment who I thought the four that were going to be in contention. It'll be interesting to see what type of immediate impact Blades can have once he does suit up and start practicing. Because I think he's kind of the wild card, right? I mean, he could totally come in and just be a ball hawk and, and make plays and, and, and make a case because of his experience to to get that starting spot. But personally, I think he's got a lot of ground to make up having missed the offseason, having missed so many practices now. He'd have to really, really make a strong first impression. So I don't think it's going to be him. And he's only played two and a half seasons of the last four years. He sat out last year. Who knows where he's at when it comes to learning the intricacies of Florida's defense. I, I just I think it's a little bit too late. Although with that being said, you know, in recent years, maybe not at this position per se, but we have seen guys come in late and make a huge impact. Adam Schuler is a guy that comes to mind immediately, arrived in August, and a month later was he had locked down that position was huge for this team. You know, maybe that was more an indictment of the depth of the interior defensive line. Sure. But I think that you cannot count out blades. So I do think he's going to come in and immediately challenge for those starter minutes, just because he has the amount of experience underneath him. But I'm going to kind of go, I, you know, I think it's going to be one of the younger guys that we haven't seen too much before. My gut kind of tells me that it's going to be Avery Helm. And, you know, I don't know if Dan Mullen's message was too telling, 
but I kind of take it as a challenge for one of those younger guys yeah. to step up. Because he didn't mention them by name. He didn't mention them by name. It could be Jordan Young. It could be Avery Helm, who we've seen you know clips of Helm, if you don't know. Just an absolute athletic freak. Has maybe, I don't want to say the fastest guy on the team, but he's got to be top three. Oh, he's up there. He's, he's absolutely up there. And I just don't think people have heard too much about him. And we've heard good things coming out about him from camp. I mean, and we have about the other guys as well. Jordan Young is one that, you know, I keep hearing everyone mention. So I just do think it's going to be someone who's been here before, spent a year in the program, understands the playbook rather than someone that does have experience, but does have to learn an entirely new system and get acclimated to the other 10 guys on the defense within what a month. Not even. I would be tempted to go with Perkins. If he had been here in the spring, I think if he'd have got that time, he'd be farther along and have a stronger case. I think from this guy coming in as an early enrollee, being able to get those 15 practices in, getting the PT that he did, and making the impression that he did, I'm going to kind of go out on a limb here, but I think that Jason Marshall Jr. is going to join that short list. Uh, Florida cornerbacks to start on day one. I think that this is his opportunity. I don't think it probably would have happened had it not been for Hill's injury. And I wouldn't be surprised, as you said, Graham, if it is Helm. I think it's between those two. But I, I just I feel like he's a special player, a special talent. I think right now probably getting his opportunity with the first-team defense, there's times when he's probably lost out there. Because you got to think all through spring, he was running with the second team and communicating with those guys on the back end. So now he's got a brand new set of teammates that he's learning to communicate with and respond to. But I think right now we're mid-August. By September 4th, he's going to have a lot of time to figure it out and grow up. So that's my pick. I like it. I think that it's kind of contrary to your typical thinking in a sense because the way the the schedules set up the first two games in a sense I think can really be more of a trial run for the secondary than anything because you're going to get Perkins and Blades more development time more practice time maybe so that they're you know better suited to play week three against Alabama and then you can possibly you know see how Avery Helm Jordan Young Jason Marshall do when you know the lights come on in those first two games against FAU and USF, I, that's why I think they'll go with a younger guy in one of those first two games. They have I'm, the luxury of being able to try it. It's huge for Jason Marshall because you know him getting on campus in spring. We say it all the time. Him getting spring, him getting the off season plan that they didn't have last year. That was huge. You got to give credit to guys like Rashad Torrance who didn't have that last year and still found ways to be on on campus and and, in critical moments. So I think that Jason Marshall is going to play a whole lot. If he starts week one, though, man, expectations are going to be sky high for him. I had people tell me in the spring that he was SEC ready. So if if I believe what I was told. physically ready. Have you seen those photos? I I mean, I need that workout plan, man. That's crazy. There was a reason why Nick Saban was blowing up his phone the week of the early signing period. You sure you want to go to Florida, man? He was sure. And it was because of this opportunity now that he's got. So, I, But look, we're having this conversation. It's all for fun and giggles. But it's kind of a moot point because 
we talk about who's going to try out there for the first series, but the second series it could be a completely different set of DBs because that's how much they rotate and that's how much they give these guys the opportunity to see the field. So you're going to see all of them, and I think definitely by the time that they get to week three against Alabama, they will know who their best set of uh, defensive backs are to have out there in the secondary. And I think by week three they'll also figure out who their best starting five is going to be on the offensive line. And we got a little bit of a curveball today from Dan Mullen who uh, revealed that it may not be the five that everybody thought going into the season as we got a, a new contender at the center position, Graham. Yeah, Kingsley Egwakan out of Jacksonville, former three-star offensive lineman, may have taken a massive leap here over the summer and may be in contention to start on Florida's offensive line. You know, this is huge. Uh, I got to tell a little bit of a story here. You know, sometimes you don't, yeah, let's put things in perspective. I'll say this because when he was a three-star guy, he was interested in Miami, but he really, really wanted to go to Florida and initially committed to Miami before Florida put the offer out there. And I was actually doing a speaking gig in Jacksonville and right, it was right at the start of his junior year. And he was sitting in the audience and this, this big guy, we had a chance to talk afterwards, and he said, you know, I really, really like Florida. I would love to go to Florida, um, but I'm going down to camps in Miami. They're really interested in me. And eventually, you know, that Florida interest came, and that offer came, and he realized that dream. But, you know, his recruitment took off overnight, and now only a couple years later in contention for the starting job. And a lot of people thought it was going to be some guys with a little bit more experience, let's uh, be Stuart honest. Stuart Reese, who repped there in the spring, there was obviously all the talk going into last season about Ethan White taking over potentially at center before he got injured. So now we're seeing Kingsley get his chance, and Dan Mullen talked about him unprompted on Thursday about the jump that he's made, and he said that he's a guy that's really kind of jumped and embraced that role, uh, and, and really his approach since last spring is, I'm here to be the starting center. He's really approached it with that kind of attitude and mindset, and it shows uh, with the mental aspect that goes with it, the leadership, he's embraced everything that comes with being the center and wanting to go be the starter. So, And if he can be, and if he has developed and progressed to that point, that really makes things interesting on the offensive line. I believe that the left is set. I think Richard Garage is your starting left tackle, and I think Ethan White is there to stay at left guard where he initially played, but now with Reese potentially being able to stay at guard and not move to center, which is where he was at in spring, Josh Braun, who everybody was kind of buzzing about as, as the next one to crack that starting lineup, but he's got the capability of playing guard or tackle. So can he potentially push DeLance for the starting job at right tackle with Kingsley taking over at center or if, or if he can solidify that spot? It'll be interesting to watch how it plays out. I mean, I, I wasn't in anticipating Kingsley there, to be honest. I'm with you. I thought that it would be Reese. I, I just thought that they would – and maybe they still will go with the older guy who's been in their system the longest, knows all the offensive line calls and checks and everything. But if you have Kingsley now taking that on, that gives you some flexibility and another offensive lineman that you can count on. Yeah, if, if Kingsley can actually – compete for center not necessarily lock down the starting job but be a guy that they could rotate yes. in and play multiple positions on the offensive line that's obviously best case scenario for this unit I, I think that what you saw last year was a group that really 
lack depth outside of every single position on the offensive line. You know, they had guys that could play multiple spots, but if they did play a different spot, it really kind of took away from the overall strength of the unit, if that makes sense here. But now you have Stuart Reese, who's slimmed down, has lost like 25 pounds, and he can play multiple positions on the line. You could maybe even say he could play all five positions no, on the offensive line. I, I don't think you'll see him do that, but I think you you know he can do I that. Mean, he's played center guard and tackle throughout his career, so it's so not having far-fetched. having guys that can do that is just going to be huge for this team more so than anything because they can really kind of I think experiment with some things, move some guys around here. You know, with Delance, I know that a lot of people have, you know, their opinions set about him that, you know, they just don't want to see him at right tackle this season, but I really think you are going to see him compete for starting minutes once again here. Just because, you know, if Braun is able to go in there right away and lock down that starting role and plays magnificently, then then no, of course you don't want to do that. You don't want to stifle his de- development right then. But I think that if you can have DeLance just there as maybe a security blanket, in a sense there, to ease Braun's eventual succession along, that's, that's going to be great for this unit. But I don't think you're going to necessarily see DeLance just not play. I, I think that best case for him is being a you know a utility guy that can come in and, and play a few different spots on the line and and maybe be that one of the first backups that that rotates in or someone that maybe in a best case scenario just really excels in the run game and we kind of see that maybe is his best strength as a blocker that we didn't he didn't really get to showcase last year because the Gators didn't run the ball so I think it's to be determined I, I think that this offensive line unit as a whole is going to be improved and I think Stuart Reese he's a guy that was not as good last year as I expected him to be. But I also didn't realize that once the pandemic hit and he got off campus that he put on 20 pounds. I think he said it was up to 380 at one point. So that's not the Stuart Reese that played and started for Dan Mullen at Mississippi State and what they were expecting him to be for the 2020 season. And he looked like it at times. So now he's back down to like the 350 range. He's gotten a full spring in. He's got his diet right. He's had this whole offseason with Nick Savage that he didn't get last year. So maybe he can be someone that they benefit certainly from having that six year of eligibility. And uh, we'll see how it shakes out. But Kingsley obviously cracking the starting five. That would be a pleasant surprise, I think, for a lot of Florida fans because I think they've been waiting to see some of these guys that have signed in recent years to make that jump. So we're going to jump to this break. When we come back on the other side, we're going to switch to the defensive line and some of the storylines that have come out of camp. And then we'll also recap some recruiting and Friday Night Lights right after this break. Welcome back into the Gator Sports Pod, Zach and Graham. And as we get into some D-line talk, can we just say something to start this segment? I mean, how good is a hashtag? Is there a better one than the Carter Six? I love for that. Zach's Carter. I mean, that is just genius. If you're a Lil Wayne fan, I mean, you gotta love it. Yeah, I love that absolutely. And that's obviously the guy that I think that they feel like is going to be the star potentially of their defense and certainly of their defensive line and. We've heard a lot of good things about him coming out of camp. We got to hear from him. But I think talking to David Turner, the position coach, and Dan Mullen as well, this impact of Antonio Valentino and Daquan Newkirk has been much needed and felt right away. It's just been kind of seamless of how they fit into this team. And I think for Newkirk, it's been a little bit natural as a Florida native. But 
Valentino coming over from Penn State and being an Ohio native, it was a, a bit of an adjustment period. But when you got a nickname like Groovy, it doesn't take long for you to find your groove. And those guys have done it on the field, off the field. And I think that the players and coaches feel like they're going to have a presence there in the middle that the Gators didn't have last season. Yeah, Turner kept using the word consistent when talking about both of those guys and what they brought to this unit. And, you know, he was frank about what he thought this Florida defensive line lacked last year. He did think that they kind of lacked a little bit of consistency on the interior of the defensive line, which was part of why, you know, bringing, you know, the Carter back up, they really were putting a huge emphasis on Zach Carter and making sure that he could play all three spots on the defensive line. That was really a a huge emphasis in the offseason was making sure that he knew in case they didn't have valuable transfers or guys that stepped up. We've talked about the defensive tackle issues from a recruiting standpoint and development standpoint before these guys arrival. But if he didn't get those guys on campus, then certainly I think he had a little bit of an issue there. Uh, When it comes to the consistency standpoint, though, guys who've played in big games on a big stage, that's something that was mentioned by Turner about both of those guys. You know, Valentino, he played on that 2019 Penn State team that went undefeated through the first six games there before they lost. You know, I I actually recapped that and um, the painful memories that he has from that loss uh, on Gatorsports.com. And then obviously you mentioned with Newkirk coming over, he had a coach from Auburn that joined this team. It was a pretty seamless, I think that's a great word, transition for those guys here to a unit that really I think was missing a lot of experience. So I hate to bring it back up again. It's going to be a lot like the addition of Adam Schuler from a few years ago where this team really gets a huge boost from guys that only arrived pretty recently. And I mean, Todd Grantham compared those guys to making a Jonathan Grenard-like impact. So if that's the case, then look for this front seven for the Gators to potentially get even better. Because as we all know, I mean, that wasn't the problem on defense. I mean, they weren't perfect. They had tackling woes in several games last season and weren't great against the run. But they did some great things and had some guys stand out in the front seven and obviously led the SEC in sacks, uh, second in tackles for loss. But their problems, as we've talked about several times, we're all rooted really in the secondary. And I, I think to me, as we kind of go back to the injury with Jaden Hill and then we look on the offensive side of the ball with them potentially wanting to run it more this year, to me, the success of this team is really going to boil down to how they are able to replace Jaden Hill and just get better overall in the secondary. And then number two, and on the other side of the ball, what this starting offensive line looks like with the five that they put out there and can they be the type of unit that allows the Gators to run it right at your throat because they have the personnel to do it and they've got the dual threat quarterbacks to do it, but will they be able to? And I think that's going to determine how far the Gators can go. I think there's more pressure on John Hevesy than any other coach right now on Florida staff because this is not the first year where they've had inconsistency, questions, whatever you want to call it, along the offensive line. The development isn't, I think, necessarily where it needs to be. And and part of that is because the recruiting isn't where it needs to be. You look at the way that they've addressed the offensive line through the transfer portal. I mean, DeLance and Reese are both former transfers, and they're going to see valuable minutes on your team when you've now been in Gainesville for four years and you would expect more of your signees 
to be contributing. I mean, this isn't really a shot at him, but you have even seen an offensive lineman like Griffin McDowell switch to a different side of the ball. So certainly I think if Florida's offense doesn't live up to his full potential this season, and it's because of the offensive line, you're going to see a lot of hate similar to what the secondary got last year because you're going to see a lot of guys held back no matter what everyone else does and whether the defense plays well, which we've certainly seen in Gainesville where the offense doesn't match the standards of the defense, you're going to see a lot of the pressure on John Hevesy because there's a lot of people who think that this is not the year that Florida can afford to be unable to run block. Now, out of those two things, I'm going to put you on the spot, Graham, out of the secondary being able to cope with Hill's loss and then just improve as a unit versus the offensive line just fielding a better starting five, and being better in run blocking, which do you think is more likely to happen, or which one is Florida more capable of accomplishing? In my mind, I think improving the secondary. I think you have a promising freshman who can play, which is more possible at the defensive back position than the offensive line position, naturally. Yeah. And the fact that Florida really didn't add an offensive lineman in the transfer portal this year makes me you know, a little bit wary because we haven't really seen guys make huge leaps under John Hevesy here. Not saying it hasn't happened, but we haven't seen massive leaps. So, and then you talk about getting Elijah Blades, Jadarius Perkins. They've addressed the portal for that position as well. So I do think that there's a better chance of the secondary improving. Obviously, you got a new defensive backs coach in Jules Montanar, so you'll have to see how the position responds to new coaching back there. But I do think right now that they just have a better chance of getting back on track. Well, obviously they were able to get back on track from the recruiting side with their Friday Night Lights event. The Gators got three commitments to end uh, the summer of recruiting that they had and kind of turn the page and head into the fall. And uh, obviously I'm sure folks have seen it and embraced it by now. The uh, commitment video from four-star running back, Terrence Gibbs, exclusively on Gatorsports.com. My man came out of the water with a Gator helmet on and did the chomp to commit to Florida. I mean, does it get any better than that? What a video, man. You got to pat yourself on the back for the job you did as well. I give him the credit, though. I mean, he's the one that came out of the water and had to uh, put his uh, life at risk with a bunch of alligators. So. Oh, yeah. Like, would you have been too scared? to? There's no way. There's no way no you would have got in there? I mean, he did like six takes, six, seven takes. Oh, so. yeah. I mean, and then it was hard. Around. And then it was hard for him to get all the way underwater with the helmet on. Uh-huh. So he's like, of course, bopping up and down and making a bunch of noise and just attracting all oh, the gators. Yeah. But they knew he was family, so they didn't they didn't mess with him. <laughs> That's good. You know? That's good. They um, smell that gator blood. They could. So, but that was the first of three commitments uh, at Friday Night Lights, and with Markway's commitment earlier in the week. I mean, that that gives them two for the 2023 class. Both of them are top 100 overall commits, and now you look at this 22 class, and they've filled needs at several positions now with uh, Gibbs committing at the running back spot. Now they head into the fall, into the season with some momentum. They got a lot of guys on campus for that Friday Night Lights event, and you have to imagine for that third game against Alabama, it's just going to be a huge recruiting weekend. You'll get a bunch of guys in town, too, for that for that season opener as well. So we will continue to look forward to it. I'm sure the Gators will have some more commitments coming down the pipeline, so we'll continue to keep you guys covered, as we will with fall camp. Make sure you follow Gatorsports.com and continue to read all of our camp coverage. We'll be back next week with another episode. For Graham Hall, I'm Zach Alboverde. No one.